0: И данные эти Если немцы хотят войну, они ее
1: получат. La lucha armada es el único camino para la liberación.
0: Patria o muerte. trompa un so, the dome, you can't
2: win the war. In the there are people who demand where is the imperialism? The imperialism, regardez dans vos assets, quand vous mangez.
3: They're
0: repressing of... people of color all over the world and on a local level, the police, the fascist police, repressing the white revolutionaries as well as the black. And the reason that this
2: class over here has never.
1: To this you asking me to confess to something? And the cheap labor taken out of these countries. These countries are not underdeveloped; they're overexploited.
0: You're listening to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we are rejoined by our beloved comrades Tara and Malik where we go into a very informative, deep dive on the Comprador class. A class not spoken about enough. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into it for you. I love doing this work. I think it's super important. So if you would like to support us, you can do so for free by subscribing on your podcast player, rating us on Apple Podcasts, for example, or Spotify. Another way to help us out that is completely free to do is just share this episode with a friend. If you do want more and you want to support us financially to increase our workload at a higher quality, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lumpen Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Alec, do you want to go first? No, off to you, off to you.
1: Okay, my name is Tara. I'm from Palestine. I'm from occupied Jerusalem and occupied Jaffa. So right, I'm located in Geodage, which is known as Montreal on Turtle Island. My family was exiled from Palestine in 1948, and so I'm a Palestinian exile, and right now I'm a student and uh, I do some organizing, community organizing, and some mutual aid work at home.
3: Awesome, awesome. I'm Malik. I'm from Britain and Senegal. Spent time in both nations, a few years in Burkina Faso. I run the Ministry of African Propaganda, where I plan on doing 1,000 quotes from Africans I love, both from the continent and the diaspora. I'm doing a PhD on the Black radical tradition in West Africa, particularly Ghana, looking at the anti-colonial nationalist movement, looking at Krumah dialectically with the Black masses and how, you know, both developed one another's ideas. And yeah, I'm very happy to be back on Rev Lumpin Radio. This is my favorite podcast, my favorite source of good conversation so yeah I look forward to this particular topic as well.
0: Thank you very much for coming back on the show Tara and thank you very much for all the work that you do in terms of organising and fundraising you do have a pretty uh, jealousy inducing following on Twitter and Instagram but what I really love about you is you use that following for fundraising and raising awareness to some of the most important shit on the planet Conrade Malik, again, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure. What I love about you is you're doing a PhD in Black Radicals in Africa, whilst also ironically being a Black Radical in Africa. Your capacity for knowledge and teaching is outstanding, and I always think about that when I see more of your quotes that those quotes have come from serious research. Love that. So the Comprador class. Tara, you're an expert in Palestine, so you're going to speak about your experience or your understanding of the Comprador class in Palestine. And of course, we've also got Malik here with all their understanding of African history and class struggles. I'm going to speak a little about the Pig class because it's from the Imperial Core, and obviously that's all I know. I'd like to know more. So why don't we get into it now? All's yours?
1: <laughs> okay, so last time I was on, I was talking with Shibi on this podcast, I mentioned the Palestinian Comprador class in reference to the Palestinian authority. And we spoke about how important it is to understand that class and their role in hindering our liberation. I sort of explained it like super briefly back then, but just to give like my understanding of the Comprador class according to, to Chairman Mao and in relation to Palestine, it's it's the part of the national bourgeoisie that essentially gives up on the uh national liberation struggle and sort of becomes the lackeys of the imperialists without really any state power. And so in Palestine it's called the Palestinian Authority, but You know, it's kind of a misnomer because it's not like they have authority over anything. They're the comprador class. They don't really own any means of production. Like uh, under colonialism in Palestine, the means of production are obviously owned by the settler colonial bourgeoisie. And so even in their function as like a bourgeois class, they don't own the modes of production in the way that the bourgeoisie in another class society would and that's because in palestine the 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 main contradiction is settler colonialism and imperialism it's not the class antagonism and so that's how their role kind of develops to where they kind of form a puppet regime type of class within the bourgeoisie and yeah like i mentioned in in palestine this is embodied within the palestinian authority which was formed in uh, In 1993, where uh, the Oslo Accords were signed and the uh, Palestine Liberation Organization sort of uh, accepted the so-called peace process, where quote-unquote two-state solution uh, is the goal of, uh, you know, the outcome of that, that peace process. And from that came the Palestinian Authority, composed of the Palestinian Comprador class.
0: Yeah, I was automatically interested when you mentioned it because it was just a class that I did not know. And again, as Marxists, we use class analysis. So if you don't know different classes, then you're missing uh, power that can help you define phenomena so you can make things act in your way, in the words of Huey P. Newton. I remember me speaking to you about this episode asking what you think about it, and actually couldn't even spell Compador class. You had to fucking tell me how to spell it properly. So hopefully people go away with a comprehensive understanding of what a compodore is and how you spell it, at least.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a great conversation. It's a great topic. And it's interesting to see it from, you know, I guess the perspectives of both Palestine and the African continent. I don't want to draw parallels between the two because obviously they're, you know, very different. Palestine's under direct occupation, whereas you know the part of Africa where I, where I was born and where I've lived in, we didn't have that direct occupation, right? So I don't really want to compare the two for those reasons. But in many regards, like there's still so many similarities. You know, the same way the Palestinian Authority almost acts as a, a smokescreen and can really detract from grounded resistance in Palestine. We see a lot of similarities, you know, in various parts of the continent where the national bourgeoisie and, you know, the, this comprador class can they can use this jingoistic language, right? They can use this language of resistance, this language of, you know, fighting colonialism, fighting uh, racial capitalism, but they're not the ones actually fighting it, and moreover, they're not the ones even suffering, right? They're not the ones even suffering its most violent forms and, and impacts. And yeah, I guess the fir- the first way in which I came across the comprador class was I was doing reading about um, like, you know, post-colonial, decolonial studies. This was the first time when I really wanted to learn about what I saw and what I experienced and what I lived in and through on the continent. I wanted to understand why it was that, you know, I never saw, uh, for example, I never saw a poor white man on the continent. Um, I wanted to know why we had, you know, some some people who looked like me and they were rich and they were, you know, our leaders, they were our, our business owners, you know, that are political and economic leadership, and they had all this money Whilst you know, next door to them, we had people living in rags, right? people living in, you know, just total extreme poverty. I wanted to understand all of these things, and through post-colonial studies, I really was first introduced to the term comprador and for me it really like described it for me like it really gave me i guess a term that i could use to describe this class right this class of rulers who you know had political and economic power whilst the masses of the people still struggled through day-to-day lives but eventually like when i came into marxism then i realized actually you know it's not just about having comforts we need to be able to link this to um we need to be able to think about their relationship to the to the capital that um creates the the poverty in, in, in the countries that I lived in, right? Like we need to be able to not only identify them as compadors and, you know, fake leadership, but also people who actually maintain the neocolonial state of affairs, people who maintain the exploitation of child labour, let's say. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like I uh, I came through it through postcolonial studies and then through Marxism I was able to connect it to I guess a uh, a better theory of struggle, right? That um help me understand them a lot better.
1: Absolutely, I mean we all know here that Marxism is like a science and uh, it's a science that can be applied differently to different material conditions and that's why dialectical materialism is so important and you mentioned a really important word uh, which is neo-colonial. This class and this is like part of the similarities that we can draw between Africa, the, the African continent, and Palestine, where this class acts in a neo-colonial capacity you know, perpetuates neoliberalism also. Uh, This is happening in the, the West Bank, in Palestine, where families that are part of the comprador class, that are very heavily involved in state affairs or the state apparatus of the Palestinian Authority, are developing, you know, gentrified towns, like new gentrified cities. So they have this, like, material impact on their own people that they've betrayed for their class interests and their social interests of course like at the cost of just handing over their land and their liberty to to the colonizer definitely
3: 100 percent, and i mean i personally notice how education is, is a huge part of that right like we see with this class they're all educated in western schools where the the goal isn't to liberate their own. The goal isn't to even understand their own culture. The, really, in my opinion, the goal is to run away from their own culture and to run away from local knowledge and to try and replicate the West as much as possible. Right? Like that's what I notice at least on the on the African continent. And I think Fanon writes a lot about this, right? About how you know the national bourgeoisie does exactly that. They they they're just running and trying to really do the West in blackface. On the African continent, at least in the African context, or context, they're doing the Western blackface, and with that comes exploitation, right? With that comes exploitation of local land, local labour, local resource wealth, um, and I, I guess as a middle middle stratum class, they benefit from that, right? They stand to benefit from that, as you mentioned. This is their exact neocolonial function. This is the purpose of their of their class. These are their class interests. For me, it's a shame that. I think many many on the continent increasingly are starting to see this but this still seems to be the biggest problem we're not seeing how it is many amongst our own who are perpetuating this abuse it is many amongst our own who are perpetuating this exploitation it's very easy to look at the west it's very easy to look at you know it powers in the imperial core and you know to rightly blame them for the misery and chaos that they perpetuate it's very easy to do that but it's a lot harder to look at you know these classes who are living right next to us, right? Who are living amongst us, who are who look exactly like us. Like that that's the harder thing to do. And obviously, you know, things are getting better on the continent from what I'm seeing, but I mean what I'm hearing as well. It's still a problem. It, it still seems to be the biggest hurdle in the African context. I don't know if it's the same in the Palestinian struggle.
1: Yeah, um it's a bit different, I would say, like on the ground versus in exile. In Palestine, the Palestinian Authority for the most part is very much recognized as uh maybe not with the same vocabulary but the comprador class like the traitors they arrest the same people that the zionist entity are looking for they enact uh, nitrates and allow f- and facilitate iof so like israeli occupation forces their nitrates they even assassinate Palestinians, like Nizar Banat uh, last year, who was beaten to death and who was extremely critical and opposed to the Palestinian Authority. And, you know, so on on the ground, like even when we talk about uh, Gaza, which is, as you know, like under a land, air and sea blockade and has been for almost 20 years there, you know, they have a different leadership. And so their leadership is very much open about how the ruling, the national bourgeoisie uh, in the West Bank has like abandoned the goal of Palestinian liberation, absolute Palestinian liberation, not Palestinian liberation with conditions, not Palestinian liberation at like 5% or 50%. But then you go in the diaspora, which is where I lived, still really close to the region, you know, which is which is kind of funny because, you know, all of these arbitrary borders were drawn in 1917 like the or 1916 the Sykes-Picot agreement and so I, I we were exiled to Jordan which is just a few hours just a few hour drive away from from Palestine And so there, the reality was very much different. Like I I grew up in a bourgeois Palestinian family. When we were exiled, there was no downward class mobility. And so, like you mentioned, I was educated in international schools, like with international, the, the IB international baccalaureate program, you know, all of these things. We had a book that literally cited a picture with the caption, Palestinian terrorists. And that's in Jordan, where 50% of the population is is Palestinians in exile, who are refused the right to return. And we know that in Jordan, the the, the royal fam- family is very closely tied to the U.S., very heavily involved in facilitating U.S. imperialism and interventionism in the region. Um, and this is something that's been pointed out for decades, you know, like... Uh, the, now recording. Uh, oh. Oh no, did you forget to record? Uh
0: no, because I've got two things recorded and I've got my bandy cam No, that's
1: okay. I was like, no, it's such a good conversation. (laughs) I know, no,
0: no, no, we still got it. (laughs) But this has got a higher quality, Mm. sorry Okay. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No, that's okay. I was like, no, it's such a good conversation.
0: No, 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 it's so. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay, wait, what was I gonna say? Yeah, this has been known for decades. When the uh, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the PFLP, uh, wrote about this in in their first statement and in the strategy for the Liberation of Palestine, that the Jordanian royal family for decades has been facilitating imperialism in the region, not just you know covertly, but also by literally kicking out the PLO, like forcing their headquarters to move to Lebanon and during the 1967 war. And so we have this different reality in Jordan and I'm sure like in other areas around Palestine, like Syria, Lebanon. Obviously, the Gulf is a completely different uh, <laughs> like situation with completely different interests. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because the state and the state apparatus in Jordan and countries that are like it where there does exist a portion of the Palestinian bourgeoisie in exile in those regions that are naturalized as, for example, Jordanian citizens like we were, for example. And some of those are you know, heavily supportive of for example armed resistance or you know repeat all these slogans about you know, freedom and liberation and free palestine and everything but then you look at the material conditions and there's a zionist embassy in your country right it's like right across the street from where you where you live or where you go shopping or where your friends live and so we also need to recognize that there there is a uh, portion of the Palestinian bourgeoisie outside of Palestine in the diaspora that does play a role that's not very similar to the comprador class on the ground, but sort of, like you said, acts like a smokescreen, so to speak.
3: Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Mm. But I guess it's. I mean, I have a question on that. The question is because I know. In, in the African context, the imperial powers tend to take one ethnic group to to pop up as the national bourgeoisie and as the comprador class. And I know that I've got a friend from Lebanon whose grandmother is Palestinian. And so I, I've learned a bit about Lebanon from him. And I know that in Lebanon, things are quite sectarian, right? Like along religious lines. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to have to be corrected here for sure. But... From what I gather, Lebanese Christians especially were fucked up as a comprador class and as a almost like a like national ruling class by Israel and by Western powers, from what I understand. Is there a similar thing in Palestine as well? Is there perhaps a particular religious, I don't know, you know, religious or ethnic? Is it divided along any lines like that, as it is on in the African context or over in Lebanon?
1: yeah that's that's a really good question lebanon is a very specific and also interesting case in that it's not super similar to how it is around like for example in syria or in jordan or in palestine and yes like you're absolutely right the the christian right in lebanon the phalangists were funded by the Zionist entity, funded by the U.S. to even carry out massacres in Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon. But that's a very different, even though, like I mentioned, they're so close in proximity, like just in terms of the geography and the location, it's a very different situation from uh, in Palestine or or other areas in the Levant in terms of like sectarianism. I would say that the only sort of propping up, so to speak, of an ethnic minority that the Zionist entity participates in is the involvement of the Druze in uh, the Israeli occupation forces. And so they are a minority, but they are for the most part, completely aligned with the Zionist entity to the point of joining the army and acting the, the colonial violence through the army. And so that's the only parallel I think that I can draw as far as I know. But yeah, Lebanon is, is a very, very interesting and different case for such a, <laughs> a super small region. But yeah, the sectarianism there is, is intense. <laughs> so
0: we're here to tie and hit the term compodore class on the head, what it means, what it says about an individual and the consciousness, the position in society in relation to the means of production and social mobility. So obviously we're all going to have slightly different views on what it is and I think that's great so why don't we talk about it more and try and get more of an uh, at least accurate or more versatile understanding of the word.
3: Sure, sure. So I have um two definitions of this. I'm going to go at this from, from both, I guess, a West African perspective, at, as I saw the compadre class there, and the perspective that I've seen in, in West London, where I spent a significant portion of my childhood as well. And I was telling you this, the the, the, the West London one. So
0: You were just like, so so yet do you know what this is? <laughs> and I'm just like, what?
3: <laughs> Compadre's... While speaking to my friends while speaking to just any normal person on the street right like they would refer to compadors as, as as something called a coon right i was explaining to you what a coon is it's very hard to describe it in nice terms it's, it's not it's not a word you should use it's not a word you should use and you definitely shouldn't describe particular politicians as a coon unless you want to get in a lot of trouble <laughs> yeah so a coon another word for a coon is a coconut um the, it, it, the reason why they use the word coconut is because they are black or brown on the outside and white on the inside. And now that's not just a racial thing, right? That's also to do with class interests. I won't name it, I won't name this politician because I don't want to bring any trouble here, but there's a particular u k. politician who's of an ethnic minority background, and you know a lot of friends I know, a lot of people from you know where I grew up in, in West London, they call him a coon. They call him a coconut. What they mean is comprador, right? This is the same same thing, right? It, it describes the same function. This is someone whose interests, whose class and material interests are aligned with the establishment. They are aligned with the bourgeoisie. They are not aligned with their community, whether it's a racial community or, you know, an economic community. So that's a definition of comprador that I'd use from, from
0: that perspective. But these West Londoners who are saying that, they must be like some advanced academic intellectuals to to know that word, is that right?
3: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, these, these knowledges exist everywhere, don't they, right? Like, these knowledges exist everywhere. And I think the first time I heard the word compador I must have been, like, maybe 20 years undergrad, uni, right? First time I ever heard of it. But I knew what it was, right? Because I'd known what a coon is. I'd known what a, a coconut is. The word compador just gave me a nice academic word for it you know what i mean that can use in certain circles but you know the knowledge exists
0: is it really that prominence of like a cultural understanding for Mm. black people
3: i mean i'd say in like post-colonial decolonial circles i've seen it used a lot you know but also there's valid critiques that you know these circles are a bit esoteric right like they like a a lot of these terms get used when actually we can use a lot simpler terminology that everyone understands and everyone actually uses in, you know, real day-to-day life. And really, this is what matters, right? We need, we need words and theories and understandings and ideas that people actually know and people actually use. Because what is the point of knowledge if it's not going to be used, right? What's the point of knowledge if it's just to use in elite discourse,
0: right? Like, So you're saying that there's a black outside and a white inside?
3: Yeah, like a coconut, like an actual coconut.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's super fascinating to me because the people who are identifying others as coconuts, they clearly understand the contradictions between, say, black and white people or the struggle against white supremacy. And to hear that it's suggested that it's somewhat common is actually really surprising to me, to be honest. But Obviously, it's great. So, anything else to add on or do you want to share your second point?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a racial capitalist critique, right? I think, you know, it it it's recognizing that in in racially colonized societies, whiteness is power. Whiteness is also can be economic power, not always, obviously, but as, you know, especially we, we see we see this, uh, this these terms used a lot more in America, where that distinction is a lot more pronounced. I I think, but. Um, also, that's another problem. Britain is like a little America, right? Like we we, we borrow a lot from the U.S., where it might not perhaps fit into this society as neatly. But yeah, the second perspective that that I was gonna go from was yeah, West African perspective. So, I mean, Fanon fan covers a lot of this, right? Like the native, the, the national bourgeoisie, or you know, Robinson talks about the in Black Mountain the native petty bourgeoisie they were, well, the native native party bourgeoisie were quite literally by function and by intention a compadre class. That was the whole point of them. They were meant to uh, perhaps lessen the costs of imperial extraction by having locals who, you know, aren't white, right? Like, it, it costs a lot more, you know, if you're an imperialist, it costs a lot more to have a white colonist trained in a metropole and sent out to, you know, do whatever bureaucracy or, you know, whatever function needs to be done it costs a lot more to do that than to perhaps train someone who's maybe mixed race or maybe is just fully black African, you know, to train them to do the same the same job, right? To do to play the same role, to to perform the same functions. You can cut costs by doing that. So you know, the whole purpose of the native bourgeoisie was to facilitate imperial extraction. They were a comprador class by design, by design of, of the slavery system and, and the colonial system in the new world. And we see the same on the African continent. We see the same in West Africa. We see these elites, these local elites, this native petty bourgeoisie who are given their power, they are given their roles, they are given their training, they're given their education, they're given everything that they have by the Western finance capital that intends for them roles as imperial bureaucrats or middlemen or, you know, like professional, I don't know, civil servants or whatever, right? Like various jobs that facilitate the... Exploitation of local labor, the exploitation of local lands, and the expropriation of that capital and you know its uh, export to the imperial core. So yeah, there's a strong parallel there between the African context and the New World. We see a lot of similarities with a native petty bourgeoisie reared for that purpose.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You mentioned something super important, which is language and like how people recognize that. I think I also learned the word Comprador maybe like, I don't know, like three years ago when I was also in my undergrad. But I I recognized Compradores just with, you know, different language and people can, people recognize Compradores, like you said, with a, with a different term. And so if I go to a Palestinian, I'm like, who's the traitor? I mean, besides the Zionists are not traitors, they're colonizers. But who's the traitor, they're going to be like, okay, it's, you know, it's Fatih, it's the Palestinian Authority, it's Mahmoud Abbas, it's, you know, it's the people enacting settler colonial violence on behalf of the colonizers in Palestine. So, because I knew we were recording this today, I was like, let me review like my, my quotations from Chairman Mao just to <laughs> brush up on my language um, because I, I want to be prepared. But you're right that these, these things can just be explained with like the simplest terms ever. It's a class that is not interested in liberation from colonialism, from settler colonialism or imperialism. It's a class that's counter-revolutionary, a class that's going to stand in the way of the liberation of not just, you know, native indigenous people from colonialism and imperialism, but also the liberation of the working class from being exploited, from having their labor exploited, from also having, like you said, the fruits of their labor expropriated and sent over to other people. are funding their exploitation also indirectly or directly to use for very cheap so yeah i think like it's just it's important for us to remember that like people know what these things mean maybe not necessarily with the same vocabulary but the masses do know what a traitor is and and the masses can recognize what that is maybe subconsciously and then you know as you build up your revolutionary consciousness as you start becoming politically engaged that's when you can like point it out and you can even maybe start to understand it more deeply inside and more consciously and put words to it and start to like to be able to recognize how the Comprador class functions and how.
0: Yeah, amazingly well said both of you so far. First to think about the Comprador class, like obviously as a Marxist, we think of like class consciousness and consciousness is a huge part of that. Like, knowing your role in society, so to speak. Like, just knowing that you're just a worker, meaning you're just going to have to sell your labor to a capitalist. You know, the banking class just think, fuck everybody else, just make money. And the ruling class, their consciousness tells them that they're fucking born to rule us all. But under Marxism, class analysis is determined by one's relationship to the means of production, whether you own it, whether you don't own it. So when it comes to the compador class, as it is a class, I do wonder whether the relationship is not so much about the means of production, but the mode of colonization and their relation to that mode. They themselves could be a mode in of itself of colonialism, as that's the labor they're putting out just as a machine gun puts out fucking rifle rounds.
3: No you're completely correct, I think you're completely correct, and like i think I like that, you know what I mean, I like that i guess analysis of okay, looking at a class, but not only through its relationship to capital but also its function, the functions that it serves I, I like that especially with the, that you gave of you know landlords and you know th- the fact that the monarch just couldn't occupy every single castle right and and so you know the monarch had to rule through. This this class of people underneath the monarch who who performed a lot of the same functions and and maintained ruling class hegemony. I like that because it made me think like yeah these are compradorial functions right these are basically compradorial functions but this isn't really a you can't really call them a compradorial class because it's still within Europe and they're not really performing colonial functions but also uh, I was going to ask you on that like could you not could we not look at it in in a similar way like uh, in the uk for example i i wouldn't use colonial as a word at all but there's almost a almost a colonial relationship that a lot of other places within the uk have with london right with with, with the capital um especially wales especially scotland especially the north of england we see relations of, of under underdevelopment. not to the extent that we've seen you know elsewhere in the world but we see a lot of similarities and i think to some extent, can could, could we not stretch the term, right? Like, could it not be stretched depending on the context that that, that we're looking at? I think, I think the problem with one definition is that it it, it just won't. It, it might not catch everything. You know what I mean? It might not catch everything that that can be caught. Do you get what I'm saying? Whereas, like, if we accept that perhaps it it's less about the the relation to capital, more about the function that's being played, then we can see the function existing. You know, not only in feudal England, but also in Palestine, also throughout the African continent, also in Latin America, like also in China as well. You know, we see the same confidorial function being performed everywhere in the world. Um, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. (laughs) You want to say something or should I?
0: Thanks. I'm just going to share more thoughts because I'm trying to genuinely gain a better grasp of the understanding of a compadour class. But to me, if you look at Mao's quote on it and just take that word for word, that doesn't truly encompass everybody who is behaving like the Compador class. And in fact, it brings out the contradictions of traditional Marxism in that nobody's analysing class anymore. They're just turning back to these pages. Personally, to me even somebody who you would class as the working class in the imperial core, a proletariat. Well, if that same corporation that the imperial working class was working at opened up shop in somewhere that was actively being colonized, would the workers there not actually be compadour class? They're complicit in this ongoing colonization effort. So these are some of the things that I think about and struggle with and Happy to listen more.
1: I agree that we shouldn't be super dogmatic and static about our definitions, and this is why like uh, it's important to not just read, you know, Marx, Engels, and Lenin. Uh, we should also, you know, read Walter Rodney, *Decolonial Marxism. That's an extremely important book that I think every uh, Marxist who, you know, even vaguely cares about the global south, <laughs> which they should, should read and should engage with. This is why we should read George Jackson, like you mentioned. This is why we should draw all these parallels between the comprador class on colonized uh, land and the pig class, also on colonized land at least here in like turtle island and also in the uk and their relation to what's the word used for yeah monopoly of violence okay yeah so we need to also like draw these parallels and understand how you know even though the the pig class uh these like the the cops the pigs are not you know necessarily part of the bourgeoisie technically they don't own the modes of production Uh, Technically, they're part of the proletariat, but they're class traitors. They're traitors to the working class and to the proletariat. And so Mm. their relation to that monopoly of violence is they're not the victims of it. They enact it. Uh, They carry it out. And this is why, you know, we should engage with, with all of these works that take... Marxism-Leninism and Maoism, uh, I mean, sorry, Marxism-Leninism and also Engels' work and sort of like build on it, like Mao Mm -hmm. and George Jackson and Walter Rodney. You know, if anyone should read anything, I would say like Decolonial Marxism is an essential text. And also Mm -hmm. I have it here, The Strategy for the Liberation of Palestine. Uh, You can see I really, really Mm -hmm. like it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My definition of the computer class would be counter-revolutionary section of the national bourgeoisie that is not interested in any form of liberation from settler colonialism and imperialism and betrays the interests of their people and betrays their work for liberation for class and social interests.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I agree. Um, I think that you also just quoted pretty much exactly how Marxists would quote the comprador class. However, something I find funny and sad is I could not find anything to do with Marx or Lenin talk about the compadour class. I do believe that the Compador class was contributed to Marxism by the black radical traditionalists and Palestinians, people who were seeing these subjects in their lands during colonial efforts. I think it's important that we recognize that. I'm also torn between the compadour class because if you just look at the example there's the national bourgeoisie selling out to the colonialists. Well, they can't be class traitors, but there's definitely compradors who are and are given a monopoly of violence by the state. Right, they're
1: already part of of the bourgeoisie and so, um, like the native bourgeoisie and so, I guess in that sense, they're not class traitors. But uh, it's important to like make these connections, you know, to like draw these similarities and... That's how we understand that, you know, this is not just an issue isolated to Palestine and the Palestinian Authority. Like, no, this issue also exists on the African continent. Uh, It also exists with, like, racialized people here on Turtle Island, with the pig class on Turtle Island in UK and Australia, New Zealand. You know, all of these people who are enforcing and propagating that monopoly of violence, to use your, your terminology
0: amazing yeah um i used the term monopoly of violence again just to try and instill in people's mind the, you know everything nearly everything that people do to like coerce into giving the consent and it's either outright violence or it's political and, and and like politics is just war without the bloodshed so We're constantly steered um, and and made to do things and coerced, should I say, to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do, but sometimes it's more blatant. So Mao says, the landlord class and the comprador class is an economically backward and semi-colonial China, the landlord class and the comprador class are wholly appendages of the international bourgeoisie. Dependent upon imperialism for their survival and growth. These classes represent the most backward and most reactionary relations of production in China and hinder the development of their productive forces. Their existence is utterly incompatible with the aims of the Chinese revolution. The big landlord and big compador classes in particular always side with imperialism and constitute an extreme counter-revolutionary group so just like it's basically categorizing compradors in with landlords you know just parasites on all the people um and just incompatible with the values of the chinese revolution as you can imagine um but also saying that it, it hinders here productive forces as well so if you're producing all kinds or exporting all the time, and then you're not growing much yourself. On um, Fanon, there's been highly academic studies in Western prestigious universities to understand the Compadre class by applying revolutionary Fanon's interferences and in theories about the colonial legacy and its practitioners, the Compadre. When I was googling, like I was trying to find a direct quote. From Fanon on the Compadore class, but I mean, like, there's so many university papers that are using Fanon's definition of the Compadore class to analyze this, to analyze that, and then analyze Fanon and things. But, like, one thing that I did find that Fanon actually said was pretty potent. And, and although it was a small sentence, I think it should sum it up what he, what he meant. So, the black skin on these compradors was masked by their complicity with the values of the white colonial powers. I think that that's a more politically correct term of what you said, Molly.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and I cited that book as well. Black skin, white masks. Like he looks at a lot of the, the the psychological impact that that I guess this compradorial function has on on, on these. Petty bourgeois individuals, right? Like there's, there's a psychological mm-hmm. impact on them too. Like capitalism impacts us all psychologically. It impacts our consciousness, and I, I would recommend that as a text as well. It's an interesting one for sure. Wow!
1: Yeah, and the the Wretched of the Earth also, even though it's not specifically about the comprador class, but I do think it's an essential text from Fanon.
3: Mm. Definitely, definitely.
0: I do find it super curious, and I would love it if anybody could tell me if Marx or Lennon did talk about the Comprador class. Don't believe they did. Obviously, they were early on in the game. But I think the closest that they did come to it was talking about the Labour aristocracy. But obviously, Labour aristocrats are not the same as the Comprador class because it's the aristocrats in the West that even drawn the borders for native compradors to emerge in colonized places in the first place. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I believe that the comprador class are the ones who are physically, psychologically, socially, culturally maintaining the borders that the West wants or want to create.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though they don't, or even if they don't, uh, to my knowledge, sort of mention it in the way that Mao does, for example, or Fanon, they do talk about reactionaries. They do talk about revisionists, and they talk Mm -hmm. about opportunists. And so that's why our understanding of uh, the comprador class developed also from Marxism-Leninism. So even though they don't sort of... Uh, say it in the terms that me or or Malik kind of explained for our understanding of uh, what's happening in Palestine and West Africa. Like they do talk about reactionaries. They do talk about working class, class traitors. They do talk about opportunism and dogmatism also. So I think all of these are also like essential uh, things that uh, would like supplement our understanding or even maybe like be a foundation for our understanding of the comprador class when it comes to colonized land
0: tara can i just ask you this question straight up because i did touch on it earlier and i'd love to know your thoughts because if you think about the palestinian authority they've got to be comprador class haven't they i mean they're not national bourgeoisie selling the country out to colonialists but the uh, People just living next door to other people who grew up in the same area as them. They're not particularly affluent. They could have been poor, but they'll arrest and kidnap and their own people whilst working with the colonizer, Israel. So how are those people, like the people of the Palestinian Authority, not compador class?
1: The thing about the Palestinian Authority and the people that work for the Palestinian Authority and sort of like enact their violence or the way that I understand it without after not without but after being like extremely angry and emotional <laughs> like you are, um, about the Palestinian Authority and you know how horrible like you know, just the most awful traitors uh, to ever exist. You know, for Palestine. I'm gonna mention Marx again, which, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just can't help but think of like his his writing on human nature and and human capacity. And so he he writes, and I'm ob- I'm I'm paraphrasing for sure, but he writes about how sometimes human capacity can trump all forms of. You know morality or ethics or empathy or sympathy or whatever, because class and class and social interests are just at the core of what some people are seeking that's so that's one way of understanding it. Another way of, of understanding it is some people are just super indoctrinated, and they sort of end up there. But to be honest, when it comes to Palestine, I don't think that's that's a I think that's a negligible minority. I think that the, min- the the people who are indoctrinated into the p a state apparatus are very much a negligible minority because like you said like you know Palestinians live under occupation like this is this is their life they especially Jerusalem and the West Bank that are under military occupation. I mean, also in in the 1948 occupied territories that are known as, you know, so-called Israel. Those territories are also obviously occupied. Like the Palestinians, they are also living under occupation. They wake up every day and see quote-unquote Israeli citizens just living their life. You know, also not but also in Jerusalem and in the West Bank and Gaza, like. This is your daily life. Like there are IOF soldiers everywhere. There's checkpoints, a 700 kilometer long apartheid wall that's eight meters high and has, you know, soldiers with machine guns on like towers. This is where, like, I think it's really essential to understand human capacity for violence and also for being able to undertake the violence of the colonizer and just, you know, put it back out towards your own people. And the way that I understand it is through class relations. There's also another dimension, which is working class Palestinians that are working, you know, administrative jobs for the Palestinian Authority. Similar, I guess, to how, like, someone who like I don't know someone would be working like a government job for the American government, like just you know a rank and file sort of regular job uh, in administration like I'm not saying a member of the Congress I'm saying like
3: civil service and-
1: yeah, like a civil ser- like yeah like a uh, civil servant, something like that those people are working class people that need to make a living like the rest of us, right but For me as a Palestinian, it's really hard for me to, like, empathize with anyone who's finding a source of income from Palestinian Authority and, like, its state apparatuses, whether it's, you know, the Ministry of whatever or any other government job. Then again, I am, I am a Palestinian in the diaspora. I don't wake up every day and I'm, like, faced with all of these, you know, acute representations of colonial violence and IOF soldiers and everything like that. And so I can't really completely understand what's going on there for working class people who are, you know, choosing to go down this route. But that's, I think, maybe like one of my flaws. (laughs) And, and if I can do some self criticism here, I need to, I think, work on understanding why that happens. You know, this is why reading black skin white masks is is really important because the the psychology of what happens is, is something that Fanon who not I don't know why not many people mention is is a is a physician like he's a psychiatrist and really understands that stuff writes about and so this is someone that we should look to for sure
3: for sure definitely and like I want to add to that like I I should probably reread wretched of the earth cuz the first time I read it I think I just a lot of it, a lot went through here, went through it out there. But I think, there, if I remember correctly, there are case studies at the end where he's referring to particular patients he's spoken to. And, you know, all of the, I guess, psychological disorders have been instilled within them as a, as a result of, you know, colonization in the Algerian Civil War. And I'm bringing this up because I remember there was a particular group there. I think they're called the Harkis. And in Algeria, they were quite literally the best example you get of a comprador class. They were Algerians who fought on the side of France during the Algerian Civil War. I read up, up up on them because I think i I think I was interested in a massacre that happened afterwards because there was a lot of revenge that said befell them after the end of the war, and I was just trying to learn more about, you know like why this class existed. You know what I mean? why these Algerians fought against other Algerians, why these Algerians fought for the continuation of colonization. And, and, you know, if you know anything about French colonialism in Algeria, it was particularly nasty, particularly brutal, particularly genocidal. Like it it was colonization in, you know, one of its more ugly, more overtly violent forms. And despite that, despite this very naked violence, they still sided with the French. And I wanted to learn more about them. And I would definitely encourage others to, you know, read up on, on, on the Harkis as a, as a particular comfortable class. But the, yeah, the, the reason why I bring them up is because again, despite seeing this very clear, obvious violence, they still side with the oppressor. And so there has to be something more than just class interest here, right? There has to be something more than just money here because I'm sorry, but you, how can you see your own being butchered? How can you see lynching, right? How can you see this sheer brutal violence and side with it for money. I'm sorry, but it has to be more than money, right? Like, it, it just has to be more than money. Mm. So it's very interesting in that regard, you know? Um,
0: yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I wanted to add to that. That's... Yeah. Come on, yeah,
1: yeah, you reminded me of a Palestinian traitor of the highest degree. <laughs> um, this is someone who, living in the West Bank, and his dad, his father was a resistance leader and uh he he was spying for the occupation he was spying for the zionist entity and he ended up writing a book called son of hamas where he sort of uh, spoke about his experience of course from a zionist perspective you know he was like you know i was the son of a resistance leader who was so horrible and bad and whatever and uh now i'm i'm safe and sound with you know in parentheses with my millions <laughs> living oh my in, in whichever country you know but his dad, his father, is, is in prison, still in prison because of his son's actions, because of his son's spying on behalf of the Zionist entity. Uh, and so this is, this is a degree of, of, you know, like you said, degree of, of, uh, of <laughs> I don't know what, that I just c- cannot understand, you know? It's, it's really difficult to understand and really difficult to, to like try in your head to sort of find a rationale for it. That's uh, that's not mm. just money, and that's
0: not just class interests. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, great points, both of you. Thanks so much. Sada, bless you for your self critique. I'm sure it's not wanted. Thank you so much. I super appreciate it. I've learned so much, Um I'm sure all of our listeners have. What's important is obviously. If you're new to politics or whatever and you're new listening to stuff like this, you just need to realise if you're not being an instrument to humanity's emancipation, I can guarantee you you're being an instrument to its servitude. That's how much power the state has over us, the ruling class. It's not even just one state. It's like every single bourgeois dictatorship on the fucking planet. would all collaborate with each other. Fuck. If we had a revolution tomorrow, fucking the United States, Germany, NATO and all that it would fucking invade England even though the people just wanted to be free.
1: I don't think you're wrong. I think um, as long as we are not conscious and uh, we're not like politically engaged that we are going to, you know, unless we we do engage with these contradictions and we do engage with our role, Whether we're part of the bourgeoisie or we're part of the so-called like pick class or whatever, or we're just complacent people, you know, going through life, then then we are instruments. (laughs) And so this is why it's so important to allow yourself to have that political sort of awakening, Mm -hmm. like achieving that consciousness of realizing first of all who you are in relation to others in relation to the world in relation to the imperial core and also what you know those other things that i mentioned are in relation to you and how that set of relationships work mm-hmm. that's how i think i think that's how you you kind of stop being like a complacent instrument
0: <laughs> yeah
3: no a hundred percent like i i think uh... Actually I'd even take that as the opportunity to pl- to, mm-hmm. to to plug Rev Lump and Radio even because I think I think, you know, what stops us being instruments is information like this, conversations like this, you know, propaganda, ideas. These these ideas being discussed mm-hmm. and published and shared, right? Shared with people. This what stops us being instruments because we are we, we are bombarded by bourgeois cultural hegemony. We are bombarded by white supremacist imperialist cultural hegemony. We are bombarded by these ideas everywhere everywhere in all the tv shows we watch in our films in school university at work in our conversations with people and when you know just everything every day every day everything it's all around us it's everywhere we are bombarded with this and so we need that counter hegemonic information we need that we need we have radio, you know we we need these these conversations we need these ideas out there because if we're so heavily bombarded by you know this this bourgeois propaganda on on this one side we need that other side we need that we need that counterbalance to tell us the truth right to tell us the, the reality which is that we are instruments we need this information to stop being instruments that's why i'm saying like this is what makes this conversation important and all the other conversations on your platform equally important
0: absolutely Wow, oh my God, you're just so nice. You're just so honest and true, but you're also so nice. Um, honestly, it's it's extremely difficult for me sometimes because it is heavily anxiety-inducing going out and being one of the only people on the fucking planet uh, to say that we need to do more, people aren't doing enough. It's genuinely unpleasant telling people, like <laughs> dehumanizing them and telling them that they're just mere instruments. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to use language that's effective and catches people's hearts and emotions. I hope that that translates. The podcast really is super important historically, I believe. And despite its importance, again, sometimes it's still struggle to work it because I'm highly uneducated uh, social scum. So, you know, it's, it's tough facing that and putting it out there. However, this is a resource that a lot of people do use and it's also going to be a resource that's going to continue to be used when I am I'm imprisoned, which I do expect would last for a number of years. So I'm going to have uh, other, other hosts on, the guests, and we're going to carry on what this podcast is all about and what every other Imperial Core podcast is not about. If you're a listener and you know that you're on the same wavelength with us and you've got something you feel is super important for us to talk about, please come on. Just message me on Instagram and then I'll phone you back and then we can discuss. Failing now, if you just love what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Like and share all of our stuff on social media. Increase the reach. But back to our honourable guests... Tara, I think this is your favorite bit of the podcast, isn't it? Do you want to just tell us all your plugs where people can find you and support and follow your work? And then Malik, please. Oh,
1: I hate I hate that part. <laughs> um, <laughs> um plug my stuff. Well, first, that's not my stuff per se, but I want to plug GMAC, the Mutual Aid Collective, on Twitter and Instagram, Gaza. Mutual Aid, that's the username for both Twitter and Instagram and you can uh, subscribe to the Patreon, become a recurring donor to uh, materially help our people on the ground. As far as my stuff per se, there is my, my Twitter. <laughs> it's X R H, and my Instagram, and uh, I forgot what what username I'm using now, but it's, it's linked to my Twitter bio. But yeah, I'm not gonna do any more plugging. <laughs>
0: Appreciate that, I know that that was probably the hardest bit out
1: of the episode. Yeah, well, it's Malik's turn
3: now. So no, I hate this part. I always hate the self plugs. Yeah, I guess if I have to, so. yeah, Afro propaganda. That's my Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, Afro propaganda. My personal Twitter is Anglo Senegalese, but there I just chat shit. So I would not recommend my personal Twitter. On Anglo Senegalese, you will find. Hopefully, soon enough, a 1,000 quotes. I think I'm on 920-something wow. now. But those are quotations from just Africans of the continent and the diaspora. George Jackson, who was mentioned earlier, he's up on there. There's list, Tupac Shakur, uh, Malcolm X, Asata Shakur, Kruma, Nelson Mandela, Chris Haney, Julius Nyeri, just to name a few. Hopefully, we'll get to a 1,000, and then I can look towards doing something else I guess give that follow, give that love and thanks for having us on, on the platform.
4: Yeah, thank you so much. Once upon a time in an obscure part of the Milky Way galaxy, there was a spinning ball of water and rock ruled by the forces of evil the devil himself, proud of the magnificent achievements of his children, decided to call a special banquet for the greatest thieves in all the land He sent invites to thousands of the greatest murderers, rapists and general assorted scum, inviting them to attend his palace at the dawn of the new moon. Each thief would be given a chance to stake his claim as the greatest messenger of murder upon the planet, and the devil himself would then decide who should be crowned king. After many days of deliberating, All of the petty thieves such as street criminals have been found far short of the required level of wickedness and there were just four sets of thieves left in the competition. They were the monarchs of empire, a cartel of bankers, the heads of religious orders and the third world dictators. Each set of thieves appointed a spokesman to give his case to the devil, we have recorded these events for posterity. Uh. Listen. Uh. Okay. Yo. First up was the thief with the worst reputation Dictator of the third world nation He looked the devil in the eyes He spoke In an oh so serious tone Dear Mr. Devil, I am the greatest thief That ever has
2: been on earth Please tell me who else, more than me personifies your work I came to power in a military coup I murdered the elected president He wanted to use the resources of our country For our people's benefit I proved the masters in the west I could kill my own people as well as the best So I took over the so-called independent country when the foreigners left Sent squads of death for those who would suggest power should be the ones they elect Erected a statue of the great man the raped our mothers, stole our lands That's how little self-respect I have Don't fight slavery, it makes me glad Account in Switzerland, Rolls-Royce Murder the rape cause I want new toys Don't want abortion, a whole fortune With that profit was a little bit of torture Even outlawed my culture, and language in history, and taught our people to only worship colonizers, and of course, me. I'm so impressed with this wonderful man You almost ejaculated on his hands But the monarch of the empire said Excuse me Mr. Devil, I'd like to speak if I may." Who do you think trained this amateur dictator To behave this way? Yeah, I'm sure before I came along His country was far from heaven But look at the carnage I've caused all over the earth It's got to be the work of the devil Countless deaths, mass enslavement Deliberate starvation of whole nations The dictator tries his best But looking at me, he's just an imitation Who do you think pays his wages? He would love to be trading places? i I've been doing this thing on the roads Way back, way back, way back since the mid ages, everybody knows he's a criminal element. They think I'm democratic and benevolent. And that shows that I'm really devilish. Cause people think I'm heaven sent. I couldn't care about democracy. You all know no one elected me. The people love me despite my crimes. Sucker MCs wanna bite my shine. So bling and out of control, you would vomit. Don't even touch dope, but my face is on it.
4: It's the
2: I'm a pervert, using the cloak of the clergy, yes I'm a pervert, using the cloak, I'm a despicable character. I use my position of authority and spiritual reverence, I'm a despicable character. Mr. Devil, allow me to speak All the religious leaders that leech In a world of creeps, I'm initiated Take people's faith and I dissipated with false promises, Hollow oratory Don't need a gun stay like robbery Dear Mr. Devil, I thought you would like it I use the faith in God to keep them blinded On a nice voice, read them a book And they believe that I'm not a crook Tell them God will repay them in the neck They give me their life savings so I can buy jets All the reports about child sex None of us have ever gone jail yet A system of stealing so appealing Convinces the victims that life has meaning Monarchs boast about conquest But needed my blessings to get it done, and all of the dictators use my books, therefore, they are just my sons. The devil was sure this was the winner, and was just about to put an end to the dinner, but then the man from the banking cartel stepped up and said, I think I'm the biggest sinner, all of those three depend on me, all they ever do is defending me, because I paid for all of the things they have, of course, and the life that they need. Paid for the guns, bombs and the tanks, that's why you see there is always more. I turn science, basic appliance, into a client of weapon of war, paid for monarchy's, armories, I make i shot a gun, not kill anyone myself But billions die cause of me, who needs a threat? I make a debt out of thin air, just sit back and collect Every single day, whatever they say The people need me just to connect Yet none of them knows what I look like Yet all of them spend my money to look nice They want more, no one's pure I hold the keys to every single door Sell sex and drugs, profit and lies Earth and skies, I even sell life, I even sell freedom For the right price, they're not smart enough to ask me nice So Mr. Devil, give me the medal, don't be biased If you don't give it to me, I'll just buy it! It's the banquet of the thief Come and with